The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. Um, how do you find out like your dosage with this stuff? All this stuff that's like unregulated. Well, you just pick uh, a spoonful every hour. A spoonful every hour. Now, is this is this Doctor Sabu prescribing this, or did you read this somewhere? That's Doctor Sabu. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome home. You are back. You always have a home here. You always have a home. Kayfabe, Sean Oliver's Kayfabe, for that matter. There's other Kayfabe out there. But uh, only one Sean Oliver's Kayfabe. You are back. You will hear what is on my mind, the musings of the past week. Sabu is going to be phoning in, checking in briefly later. His connection is awful. I, I just got to say this. I, I, I don't know. He's in Las Vegas. I don't know if the cell towers, uh, what's going on out there with them, but uh, we're doing this on the phone, and uh, I'm having a hard time hearing Sabu. So uh, just to let everybody know what's going on right now. and um, But he'll be checking in. We'll we'll do a little time with Sabu. We'll have him back if the uh, if we find the connection to be unsatisfactory. But um, I don't know. It's maybe there's a sandstorm. I don't know. Phone up his ass. I have no idea. But uh, let's see how it goes. Maybe it'll clear up. I doubt it will. But let's see. We'll do everything we can to bring you Sabu <laughs> phoning in and checking in about his latest book, um, with some crazy stories which we will discuss. Super Bowl was yesterday. I don't know why I should care about this, but it was the Super Bowl. A lot of people care about it. A lot of people, uh, you know, we had some people over too. I think, you know, I said I said I come at the Super Bowl with a very uh, Catholic approach. It's like any Catholic of, you know, above, I don't know, the, the age of enlightenment, whatever that would be, for God's sakes. You know, you do it at a ceremony. So that's kind of what the Super Bowl has become, unless your favorite team is in it, you know. And then even then, I, I don't know why why we care. Why do we care? I don't know. I've got, I, I mean, I've been a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan. I'm a New Jersey Devils fan. I, 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 I cried as a child at the Cowboys' losses. Um, God, was it awful when the Rangers knocked the Devils out of the playoffs. That was horrendous. Back in '93, uh, perhaps Stefan Mato, Stefan Mato, the uh, the call when he scored the overtime goal. Yeah, I mean, I lived and died with these teams, but now, now I have to ask myself, why? What is it? Why do we do this? This fandom, we have absolutely, positively zero stake in a team winning or being a champion or what the fuck? Am I getting any of this money? Am I getting any of this money? Is my name going to be emblazoned on a, uh, a championship flag, which will be seen by, you know, hundreds of thousands of people every week for the next 50 years. I, am I getting a Super Bowl ring? I, what, what is my stake? Nothing. Do I love these men? Do I love these men? I don't love these men. What do I love? The uniform? I guess we love the uniform. The players are all transient. They're all in one team this year, another team next year. Another guy comes in. You're rooted against the guy when he 
you know, played for the 49ers. He comes to your team. Now you're a fan because he's wearing your jersey. Not even your jersey. We say we. Who do we have there? Yeah, we got the Giants next week. Yeah, you guys got Cincinnati. You got a week off. What's the we? I don't get it. I do it, though. I did it. I'm starting to think about it now. I don't think, I, I you know what? I, I don't think they've earned my, my fucking viewing. They haven't earned my viewing. I, I just, I don't know what it is, this fandom. It's weird. Uh, but uh, listen, beyond that, they don't even give a shit about you or me. You think any of those fucking guys on the field, yeah, they want you in the stadium so that the owners are making money so they can negotiate the next contract. They don't give a fat rat's ass about you. Just look at the ticket distribution. The ticket distribution of uh, for a Super Bowl. If you ever think you're getting tickets to a Super Bowl, check this out. This is how um, NFL handles uh, about 75% of all the tickets. So this is how the 75% will be, uh, will be divvied. 17.5% of the tickets are given to the AFC championship team, and then 17.5% are given to the NFC championship team, okay? So yesterday, well, I mentioned the team's names, so this can remain timeless. The AFC champion got 17.5% of the tickets that were printed, and the NFC champion got 17. Now that goes to family, friends, just think of the how many people work for a team and and how deep you could go in figuring out like whose brother whose sister the guy that screws the cleats on the you know the equipment managers the guys that travel with the team that load the stuff on the buses i mean that's deep into a team but i mean yeah there's hundreds of people there so that all right so 17.5% for each of those Five percent. So with seventeen and a half and seventeen and a half, that would be thirty-five percent are already gone to the AFC and NF- NFC teams. That leaves only sixty-five percent of the tickets that are printed for that arena for the, for that stadium. Five percent now go to the host team. So when the Super Bowl was at MetLife Stadium out here, the Giants and the Jets, I guess, right. You both play there. I guess they each split 2.5%, but if, if if you're a normal city and one team plays at your stadium, 5% goes to that team. So we're at 40. 40% of the fucking tickets are to the players that are on the field. Their friends, family, and everybody else. The teams, and then the host team, who has done cock. I mean, they might have been 1-15 in 15 that year. They're getting 5% of the tickets. They're getting 5% of the tickets just because it's their stadium. Their owners, their equipment managers, their players, their everybody. You know who's not getting it? Fans. Not their fans. Not their fans. You buy all the jerseys, you go to the games, good. What are you? What are you rooting for? What are you cheering? Yeah! He scored a touchdown! What? What did you get from it, dude? Listen, take all the time you spend watching the NFL, the NBA. Go write a book. Might be a bestseller. Write a song. 
might be a chart topper. You're sitting there cheering rich guys getting richer as time ticks away uh, your precious life. All right, what are we at? 40% now. Now, here's the big whopper. 34.8% are distributed to the remaining 29 teams in the NFL. So we were at 40, and this brings us up to 75. Before a fan has even touched a ticket, actually, nobody in in that 75%, nobody unaffiliated with an NFL team has touched a ticket. 75% gone. Nobody has touched a ticket outside of those in the NFL or involved with the NFL, involved the families of those involved. The remaining 25%, that's controlled by the NFL. So they may put they may put as many as they want on sale. Now don't forget. Now now those were just the teams, the 75%. Now the NFL has to go through their partners. Who are they doing sponsorships with now? You don't think if if uh, the leading soft drink manufacturer has been running ads all year for the NFL on all their stations, you don't think they're getting a bunch of tickets? Of course they are. How about media? Media outlets. They're getting tickets. Networks. Listen, the game was on Fox last night, but... You don't think CBS got tickets? You don't think NBC, Comcast, got tons of tickets for airing the NFL all year long? ESPN? Tickets. Now, we're finally coming to you, the fan. The fan. Now, that's a, you are in that 25% that the NFL has to decide what to do with after, of course, the networks get and the soft drink sponsors. Once the, that's all done, and the NFL itself, by the way, all the people that work in the offices of the machine that is the National Football League. After all that come the season ticket holders. Now, they're not all... They're not all uh, created equal by the way it is a it is a lottery for the season ticket holders of the two teams that have gone to the super bowl so not all fans i don't know what do you have a hundred thousand not all two hundred thousand people you can't put them in there because the stadium will fill up so there becomes a lottery okay so after this uh lottery for season ticket and and as I understand, there are like tiers, uh, just better chances you have to get seats by being a, a longer term holder. You might have had season tickets for the Chiefs, let's say, for twenty years. Well, you're going to be valued more than the guy who's had them for five. So your chances are better, from what I understand. Uh, that and also the uh, the amount of seats you have and uh, and the money. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. You're just a dollar sign, but you're sitting there cheering. You're screaming. You're passionate. You're having a heart attack about what's happening happening on the field. Yet you're not even going to be able to see the team if they go to the Super Bowl. So now that's a lottery. 
And uh, if anything's left, then you are uh, able in a secondary market to get tickets. So, you know, you'll listen, you'll have some people who are on that list that I just read that are trying to offload their seats on one of those uh, either StubHub or SeatGeek or one of those professional ticket brokers. And that's when you get those like $5,000 price tags on them. The seats range anywhere from like $950 up to, I think the last night, $7,000 I heard for uh, last night's Super Bowl. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But in the past, um, well, let's say for, for last night's game, okay, in the secondary market. Now, th- this is a uh, this is a resale ticket, the cheapest resale ticket in advance. I'm not talking about two hours before the game because they may have been trying to unload it. But uh, as of this, uh, the printing that I'm seeing here on uh, uh, how stuff works. SeatGeek had a Super Bowl 2020 ticket for 4,886. That was the cheapest. And StubHub's cheapest was 4,345 a piece. Now that's and that was up that was up in the nosebleeds. Average average resale price? Resale. Not buying from the NFL or getting it handed to you because you you screw the cleats on. $9,000. So there you go. There you go. That's what you're cheering for. That's how excited you are. Put your jersey on. Put your jersey on. Be proud. Be proud of the team. Say we. We. We're in the Super Bowl. See who we drafted? Oh, God. We had a terrible draft. Oh, we looked like shit yesterday on the field. We, you, have got zero stake in this team other than some bizarre emotional thing. Listen, maybe, maybe your grandmother on her deathbed said, please go root for the Chiefs. If they ever win, think of me. Look at the arrowhead and think of my blue quaff and his grandma closed her eyes and shuffled off this mortal coil. You said, I have to root for the Chiefs for Grandma. Listen, if you've got a story like that, I'm I'm with you, okay? I get it. Kind of. Because she's dead. And nine grand is nine grand. I mean, the bitch's funeral was probably nine grand. And now you're going to sink nine grand into a ticket? But whatever. Okay, Grandma, That's, that's so there's your stake, okay? there's There's some kind of stake in the game. Otherwise... Your we is ridiculous. They don't give a shit about you. You shouldn't give a shit about them. All right, listen, you read wrestling books. There's a ton of them out there, right? You got memoirs, you got wrestlers' memoirs. The business of kayfabe, turning wrestlers' secrets into a million dollars, written by yours truly. Okay, now this chronicles the business lessons learned from running kayfabe commentaries for 12 years. My first book, Kayfabe, uh, Stories You're Not Supposed to Hear, from a pro wrestling production company owner. Number one bestseller in the wrestling category for almost 19 months, okay? On Amazon. 
This follow-up, the business of kayfabe, what are the business lessons inside these stories? What is there to learn from all of this time running the company? The personalities in pro wrestling have always been some of the most unique and entertaining in the world. And for more than 10 years, Kayfabe Commentaries has been the leading production company in the genre. Now you'll go inside the company. You'll see how it's done. Me, the on-camera ringmaster, co-owner of the company, I'm going to take you inside. I'm going to take you through all the components of building the business that brought the real-life personalities behind wrestling's outrageous uh, angles uh, to the masses. From our hits to our cancellations, there were lessons to be learned in all of it. Listen, tons of great stories. It's available in paperback, on Kindle, and on audiobook. Go check out Audible or grab it on iTunes, however you listen to your audiobooks. The Business of Kayfabe. All right, this, um, I guess, it's not a first for me, but it's certainly a first for the podcast here that uh, my guest um, has put more parts of himself together with crazy glue than the average five-year-old's toy collection. It's my old friend, Sabu. How have you been? It's pretty good. Staying together. You wrote a book, dude. That's right. You wrote a tell-all. Were you nervous about um, going into going in depth? I mean, you've talked to us on a bunch of shoot interviews very openly, but somehow when it's in print, when the words are printed forever on paper on a shelf, it's a little more permanent. Did you have any hesitations? Uh, no, until I read it, and, and they put a couple things in there that were supposed to be in there. They weren't supposed to. Well, did you explicitly say, like, hey, listen, that was just for me. Don't, don't, don't say that. No, I guess I didn't. Yeah, well, that's, that's rule one. Next time for the follow-up book, say don't print that. So at least you have that on tape. And the, the final draft, uh, they printed it without my okay. So the, I, I read it, it gave the two things, and then they printed it. And didn't show me the changes of the two things they did. So. Mm. Yeah. Um, I told a little bit more than I wanted to. Were there, was there any uh, any blowback from that, or has everything been okay? Uh, there's been blowback, but uh, what, what the hell can I do? From who? From who the most? What was the what was the most offensive? I, I, I can't say. You, you, you just have to figure it out. Hopefully, uh, if they said they could deal with you. <laughs> Listen, since our last breaking kayfabe, uh, when we talked, you know, extensively about. You know, your health and all the risks and stuff. And yeah, I guess the stuff people always talk to you about because of the way you work in the ring. Um, how's your health been in the last couple of years? I know there was a surgery, at least one, right? Yes. Well, I'm doing good. Ever since I had the surgery, it's been all good. You know, I, I still have I have surgery on my hip. I had my hip replaced. And uh, that was a life changer because I, I walked around for 10 years with pain in my hip and back. And uh, finally, I got a fix and the pain was gone. That was uh, amazing. But I've been doing good since then. The only thing is, you know, I have a shoulder that's actually worse than my hip, but, but I can live with it because uh, I don't have to walk on my hands. It's not a, uh, a weight-bearing joint. But my shoulder's like pretty bad. But I, overall, I'm good. I think I'm good. Uh, whatever pains I have, I can live with. I have them. Have you been, have you been off the gimmicks? Yeah. I, I haven't taken up gimmicks in 
eight or nine months, I found this new stuff called Cradle. And uh, that stuff's life-changing, too. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I, I, I know about Kratom, but then I was hearing some, some uh, like, the, the other side of the story, which was kind of scaring me off a little bit. I don't know whether it's, you know, the, whether the criticism is, is um, credible or not, but, uh, you know, I was hearing, like, that it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't for everybody, so to speak. But it, but it's worked for you. Yeah, it can be for everybody if you figure out how to take it. Where it doesn't make you nauseous. Was that the, was that the worst side effect you had? Was nausea? Yeah, and that, that only lasts a few minutes. Huh. The only thing is, when you dose, you know, it takes so bad that uh, every time you dose, you cough. Oh, um, how do you find out like your dosage with this stuff? All this stuff that's like unregulated, it's kind of like, you know, CBD yeah. and everything. How do you find out how much to take? Well, you just pick a, a spoonful uh, every hour. You feel a spoonful every hour? Yeah. Now, is this is this Dr. Sabu prescribing this, or did you read this somewhere? That's Dr. Sabu. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's only to take one gram at a time, but a, a teaspoon has about five grams in it. Um, are you, do you still work in the ring? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Do you have to modify what's going on? I mean, I mean you can't go like you did I, in 95, I, right? I, I, right. But, but I modify it with how I'm getting paid and what kind of venue. Like, I read it up with a couple weeks ago. They paid me half dollar in front of, like, 50 people. <laughs> they gave me half dollar. Some people think, oh, look at four seven got up in front of 50 people. They paid me. You know, they paid me. So I didn't say no. Yeah. Is what do you think? I mean, you seem to me. I'm going to guess that you're the type of guy that it would be against your principles to to work at half pace be, because you're not feeling well. Well, I, it, it would hurt me or go against what I believe in if I work half effort, not half pace. Pace could be uh, I might be slow that day, but it would be a pace that I can last for a while. But anyway, uh, what I mean is. Let's go through some of the uh, some of the highlights of the book for for anybody who wants to grab it. It's called um, Sabu Scar Silence and uh, Super Glue. Couldn't say Crazy Glue, but it's the three S's. You have the alliteration there, so that works. It's a nice title. Um, so here are some of the stories. I want you to expand on some of these. Um, uh, you were working Eddie Guerrero, who was under a hood. And um, you uh, you get into a fight in the crowd uh, because someone pulled the turban off, but uh, something goes a little bit wrong there, right? Right. Go ahead, t- tell us. I was walking to the ring, and the guy uh, with everybody slapping my shoulder and stuff. One guy grabbed his stuff and grabbed my turban and pulled it off, and uh, I jumped the guardrail. And I beat up a guy, but not the guy that did it. I beat up the guy next to him, and then the security threw out the guy I beat up, not the guy that did it. <laughs> But you didn't find out until you get in the ring, right? Because Eddie's laughing his ass off under the hood, right? Because he saw that you had the wrong guy the whole time. Right, right. What a good guy. Um, You know, a recurring theme throughout your book is your admiration and your reverence for Sandman's wrestling ability. (laughs) 
It's rather beautiful to hear a friend compliment a friend like that throughout the book. <laughs> well, he, he's the first one to admit he doesn't have the actual wrestling mechanics. He knows how to work, but he don't have wrestling mechanics. Right. So, but he's good natured. You can write that, and the next time you see him, he would uh, enjoy it and agree with you, right? Um, talk to me about the Adrian Adonis car crash. I, I never knew that you were there. No, no, I wasn't there. I, I was supposed to be there, but I, I knew everything would happen. I wasn't there, no. Oh, but you were, uh, but you were on the on the tour, though, right? No, I was supposed to be on the tour. Then when that crashed, that was the end of the tour before I got there. Oh, so what was? And he had a bunch of. He had like twenty grand on him, or something like that. Well, the, the ring truck had about twenty or forty grand cash. And he had his jewelry, and one particular his wedding ring was like a ten or twenty thousand dollars diamond thing that was missing. And, and his wife said he never goes in here without that. He left the house with, it. and that was not. Wow. So what what happened? Was it uh, was icy conditions? Well, uh, bad conditions, and they were drunk, and they drove off the edge of this cliff about about a hundred feet down and crashed into a creek, and uh, there was half submerged underwater and all that. So a couple of guys died on impact. Adonis was still alive, uh, trapped in the van. He, 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 he was drowning. He, he, the guy helped him. Uh, he didn't drown right away. Just, you know, robbed his jet, waited for him to drown, and then when he got help. So it, it was underwater? Yeah. Oh, wow. Half underwater. Half you know, like a river or a creek or something. You know, t- um, you don't have... You go pretty stiff on Taz in the book. Would you would you agree with that? Is that fair to say? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> no, he goes stiff on me, though. I think. <laughs> no, I don't go that stiff on Taz. It's not stiff if it's the truth. It'd be stiff if I like, kept putting an extra few cents or something. Yeah, if you, yeah, I just, I, when's I, the last time you saw Taz? Would you have heat if you saw him now? Uh, no. I, I seen him a couple years ago, and he called me about the stuff in the book. Because he said, uh, you know, somebody's telling him that you know, he was not. I always took you over. He said to me, I always took you over that I wouldn't be cast without that and all this stuff. And then you buried me in the book. I said, I didn't bury you, bury you. Uh, I just told the truth. You know? And did he accept that? I mean, was he fine with that? Yeah, he, he, he accepted it. Because I didn't like saying, and, and another thing bad about Taz. I didn't say that. I was telling my story about Taz, and that's that. It's the truth. If I made it up, he would know I made it up. Yeah. Also, Paulie. E. Uh, Paulie e isn't painted in the best light in the book either. Huh? I said he was mad because I didn't make it up. <laughs> he, <what? laughs> Did you hear from Paulie? E? No, not at all. I heard from you. Yeah. I figured he'd been the, like when I had a GoFundMe for my hip, I, I figured he'd be the first one just to show he's a, pay, a baby thing to pick in or at least pay for the surgery. I thought he'd pay for the surgery. Yeah, you know another another thing I wanted to a story I wanted to mention. You worked a barbed wire match with Funk, and uh, you get what did you tear? Uh, you tore part of your arm up on the on the barbed wire, right? Was it your arm? Yeah, my bicep. Yeah, the bicep, right? And so like it's hanging out, and you just uh, you call the finish, right? You want to go home, and Funk keeps kicking out while laughing at you, right? Are you pissed off? <laughs> no, no, I was worried that I was going to bleed out. But then after I got my arm taped up good enough, 
arm went numb, but I figured, okay, I'm not losing that much blood. But he, he, you know, he just wanted me to hold on until I calmed down, and it was hard to calm down with your, you know, your arms falling apart. Well, so was it was that like a just some bizarre, cruel rib to keep you bleeding out in the ring and not let you have the finish? No, no, he didn't know it was as bad as it was, and I thought it was worse than it was, and it turned out to be about as worse as I thought, about as bad as I thought it was, but way worse than he thought it was. Right. Yeah. Sabu, when you do indies now, right? What's the, what's the, what's the one thing that you would correct about the younger workers right now? Well, the, well, indie wrestlers don't know there's a particular spot in the card for everybody in the mat, everybody on the show. You know, you can't have hardcore guys in the first match. You can't have hardcore guys throughout the show. You can't have blind guys in the first match. Blind guys throughout the show. You got to place the elevation. So that's what it would be. It would be the pacing of the card that they get wrong. Yeah. If I put him up first, I'd want a first match. match. I don't want a main event match. Right. But what about in the ring? Anything in the ring that, that the young guys are getting wrong now that you'd like to straighten out? I took high risk with little rewards too, but it was a different, it was different back then. And I was the only one doing it. There wasn't that many people doing it. Now everybody's doing it for you. You really got to break your neck to make it look like you broke your neck. Right. How long are you going to go, bro? Another five years? Ten years? What are we talking about? Uh, I figured uh, if I hit the lateral, three years. If I don't hit the lateral, maybe more. So, well, I listen, I know you. It's it's not a fiscal decision. You You love it still. You should do like the ter- I, got a, I got a match coming up in South Africa where I'm really excited for. I don't really get that excited anymore. But Sa- what's the crowd like in South Africa, man? I- I've never been there, but I can't. You know, they're telling me that they're going to like me and all this stuff and they're giving me big money. Right. What, um. Why don't you do the Terry Funk gimmick, dude? Why don't you do like a, a retirement tour every two years? <laughs> I thought about it. Then I don't want to. I don't want to cry with you. Yeah, but if if there's anyone we believe is going to hang it up because they can, you know, barely get to the fucking ring, it would be you. And then bang, then you're back out again for another year. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually thought about, it, but not that serious. I thought about it a little bit. And maybe wrestle Terry for the final match every year. Yeah, but I know. Um, in New Japan, they they called me on to use me a couple years ago, but only for a retirement match. So if I go do a match with them and then retire, they can get the payoff. I can't wrestle at that, but I could. I want to go against whatever they do. You know? How'd you land out in Las Vegas? You're in Vegas, right? Yep, yep. How long have you been there? Uh, going on two years. Right. You like it? I like it. Melissa don't. Uh, the weather's uh, cold in the winter and hot as hell in the summer. Yeah. Uh, I like it hot as hell in the summer. It makes my muscles a little better. Isn't uh, Rob out there? Van Dam, isn't he out there too? Yeah, he did a couple miles up the Oh my God, the the cloud that must be above, <laughs> that must be above the goddamn city when the two of you run into each other. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, listen, Sabu's book. It's Scar Silence Super Glue. It's available Amazon everywhere books are sold. So if you've already picked up mine. 
then you can grab his. I give you permission. And uh, where can we see you? Uh, where will you be wrestling next, Sabu? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing four or five shows for Impact. Uh, February something, something, something. And uh, one at South Africa, February. Uh, Florida in February. I don't know the exact places. I don't have that. All right, well, we'll find you. How about that? All right, Sabu has vowed to get on Skype. We have to make this happen. Can you guys please, on Twitter, reach out to Sabu, give him the instructions on how to get on Skype so we can uh, so we can talk for longer. Um, that's, that's, that is absolutely all I could have done uh, to people with that phone connection. But... Um, We'll get him on Skype, and and we'll get it again. All right, this is the uh, part of the show that I vow um, to address you, my friends. Listen, you want to produce this show? Patreon.com slash Podcast. Become a patron of the show. Become a producer. Keep it on. It's a measly $1.99 a month. That's 50 cents a show, for Christ's sakes. Um, And it goes through all the things uh, that make the show special. Um, you, you will join other um, the patrons like Ian Vaughn Jones, Ken Soderholm, right? Matt Cardone, Mike McNeil. Who else has come aboard? Ralph Ramirez, Terry Lynn. I mean, these are people that you will be producing with and others. So uh, speaking of Patreon, I, I had somebody reach out. I got this from uh, one of our uh, patrons, Harrison Lee. And uh, Harrison reached out and said, uh, Hey, Sean, I uh, just wanted to say I've been enjoying the podcast, but I was wondering, and I'm sorry if this is too personal, but you sound a little dejected these days. You just getting old like the rest of us, or has something gotten you down? I wouldn't ask except that I've been watching your stuff for years, and you know how it is when you really enjoy someone's work. If I could have talked to Orson Welles about his drinking on Patreon, I probably would have done that too, Uh, LOL. Just want to make sure you're all right. Now listen, no mystery that the Orson Welles reference uh, whipped out to me. Yes, okay, my weight does fluctuate at times. I know where you're going with this, Harrison. You watch some of the more recent kayfabe commentary stuff, which is, you know, by now... A year old or whatever, but um, yeah, you know, listen, I wasn't the spry, sprightly young man. Can a man be sprightly? Oh God, maybe not. A uh, the young fit, um, man that I was at one time. I'm trying to find another noun for myself. Ran right into the gutter. It's man. It's just. It's you know. It's nothing in you. It's man. Man among the people. So, no, nothing. I don't think anything's gotten me down. I'm trying to think of uh, what, of what you might be referencing. I, I, you know, there are times that listen. I oh, come on. I, you think I want to sit down here and and talk to you for an hour? Do you? I, I, I'm very challenged in making anything interesting. I am without a co-host, so yes, I'm talking to myself for an hour. This is hard. You ask any of the podcasters out there. They're all sitting there with three, four, five fucking people in the room. They're all friends, so there's all these inside jokes. Nobody knows what the hell anyone's laughing at. They're all laughing over each other, talking over each other. It sounds like a goddamn Elks Lodge. And yet, 
they, they abound. There's many. And there's a reason for that. It's that this shit is hard. The stream of consciousness never coming up for air, always having something to say of substance, not hemming and hawing and picking your ass while people listen for uh, for content and have to start hitting that plus 15 like you're doing right now, right? You're hitting it right now. I see you're reaching for it right now. You've got to avoid that. You've got to spend every second you can avoiding that plus 15. I always had people on the air. I, I was on college radio for many years and... Well, for my college tenure, and which was many years, by the way, it was like six years, and um, I, I, I will find some of these. I think I, these got digitized at some point, and I have access to some of them. But there were always people in the booth, and I always hated when no one would come on the air with me. I'd go in, I'd say it was a talk show, right? I'd go in and mouth off and get in trouble, and you know, uh, it, it was therapy basically for me in the in the nineties. Uh, but as a young man, what do you do, right? You, 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 you open the window and you scream, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. I wasn't mad at anything. I was just, I was just mouthing off. Um, but it was a great outlet. And so, but there were people, I needed people. And then when, when there weren't people in the booth with me, I could look through the glass and there were people in the office. The office was on the other side. So you could see into there and maybe they had you on, you'd get some reaction. So you were talking to people, you know, you were talking to people. This, this is, this is madness. This is the definition of madness. I'm going fucking crazy here. So Harrison Lee, your question to me is somewhat valid at this point. Because, but listen, what what, what am I going to do? What am I, look at that. I do this. I write books. How do you write a book? You spend months toiling, years in some cases, toiling over the words, over words, over communication, painting pictures in people's minds and making sure they're effective and redoing it and redoing it. When is a book done? When's a book done? When's a painting done? You sure you don't need any more green? So it's it that part is maddening too. So you do that and then what happens with the book? You're so invested in it and it's a very insular process because you you're working with an editor at some point and there's some back and forth there. But for the most part, you're constructing it all and you're getting it all out, right? And you're getting it on the page and then you're self-editing of course before it goes to anyone else, making sure it's it's of quality. So it goes out. Now you have big decisions about, oh, you can talk about covers. Now we're going to talk some cover Right. If it's my if it was my um, my nonfiction, my wrestling books, uh, those had to be shot. Right. So there has there's some there's some photographing for the cover. There's the art design of the cover. There's discussion of font. There's uh, choice of color. Uh, there is this shot better than this shot. What does this shot say? What does that shot say? So there's a lot of that going on. Then there's typesetting and font and paper. You know, we'll we use an ivory. We'll we use a white. There's a lot going on. There's so much to keep you occupied. You, you, you realize you're going to talk about paper color. You probably don't even realize that. I have to sit there and decide, would you like to read an ivory, thicker paper, or is a white paper, a bright white, what you would enjoy as you read my book? Well, there's, you know, the, the fiction and nonfiction work a little differently with that stuff, but you got to decide. Cover. Is it a matte cover? Is it a gloss cover? So I've fallen into this thing that my fiction stuff are, are the matte covers. Just feel like they, that they, that they, they value that more. Is it, is it something more? The cover of, of, of a novel has to feel a certain way. Whereas you got, you guys are fine with a gloss, a high gloss, exciting cover. You see the shit that goes on. And then guess what happens? It's released. 
You're handling a lot of other stuff for release, right? You're handling uh, um, some advertising, uh, Facebook maybe, BookBub maybe, uh, places like uh, there's the free stuff like Twitter, but then you have paid stuff, paid Facebook advertising, paid Amazon advertising. Got to do all that, man. And it costs money. So you can't waste your time. You've got to know. You've got to have the right ads created, showing up to the right people at the right times. It's a lot. It's a lot. And then guess what? It's out. And once it's out, you start to watch. Ooh, what's happening here? What's happening here? Maybe you'll do an audiobook. Bang, now you're in the studio talking to yourself again, doing an audiobook. And then it's out. It's gone. It is now out in the world. And you don't know where it is, who's doing what with it. You'll get some feedback. You'll get some star ratings and stuff, but it's gone. It goes out. That's a very, uh, the whole insular process. Then you give birth to it and it's gone. They take the child from you. They run out of the room with your book when it shoots out of your bukyat and they take it and they run out with it as it's dripping with afterbirth. And it's just gone. You see, you see uh, commentary on it sometimes. Maybe you see, you see pictures, replications of it on Amazon. But it's gone. You can drive by it. You can look at it in a store. It's it somehow becomes not yours anymore. It's a weird process, man. Uh, Twitter. I always try to get you guys here. Keith Gamrit, if you could pick one Howard, one of the Howard Stern frequenters, not necessarily a whack packer for your podcast, who would it be? My guest after watching the Russo, uh, he says timeline, but it was um, breaking kayfabe. It would be Pat Cooper. If only to hear you t- hear him tell you his common sense devours you. That was great. Yeah, I would absolutely a Pat Cooper. But actually, you know what? <sighs> to have on my podcast, I don't know. I don't know that I could do Pat Cooper any any justice. He's fine on his own. He's fine with Howard. He's I'm like he would never be on Howard now. Hollywood Howie. But he would be fine. But uh uh it would be one of the guys with stories to tell. I mean, I'm going to I'm going I'm going to have one on here. I'm going I'm going to I'm working on it. I'm working on it in the coming weeks. We're going to have an actual stern staffer of the past on the show. I promise you that. I have no promises from them. But I promise you when I put my mind to something and I'm ferocious about it, I have it. It happens. And it's for you guys, man. It's for you. It's for you guys, my patrons. Um, let me see. Can we get another one here? Uh, Naruto for Life 2013 says, interview the one and only rated G superstar John Cena. How excited he was with the exclamation marks. What would I talk to John about? You tell me. What am I talking to John about? John doesn't need me. John is uh, is fine. Uh, John would not be able to talk to us about anything. Uh, well, listen, it's not going to be the inside stuff. What am I going to talk about? You guys know it all. You got the Observer. You got Figure Four Weekly. You got all the websites. It's all out there in five seconds. He's not going to. He's not. Gonna, I, I would probably, if I had to sit with John Cena, I do this all the time. I say, God, what if I had to interview this this person? Uh, Eric Sims will, will call me with a name like you know, oh, Black Bart's in town. Uh, so like, I gotta. It's like, what the fuck? What am I going to talk? And it's always, I always go off the beaten path. It is always probably not what I should be talking to the talent about. But what would I talk to John Cena about? Not a stitch. Not a stitch of what he did in the ring in WWE. I'm telling you. 
Nothing specific. I might talk to him about working for WWE. I might talk to him about what how the McMahon family treats a star like John Cena. If there was, if 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 I mean, that, what, does he go to dinners there? Like, I'd be interested in that stuff. Like, does uh, does does Stephanie McMahon wear low cut clothing when he's around and like lean down for the fork in his presence? Is and then Trips is sitting right there, like keeping an eye, or maybe they're like swingers and they're into it. Like, I would go into that whole thing. Like, I, I that's where I would go, right? But but what should I talk? I should talk to him about about Kane and the Undertaker, right? That's what I should be talking to him about. Um, Bobby Scott, what's your problem with doing the dick bag anymore? I miss it. Well, Bobby, uh, I, it would be annoying for me to do it here. I, I guess I could do it with my guests, but that was more of a KC thing, right? That was more of a, a kayfabe commentary thing. But I guess, you know what, when you do your solo project, you have to do, uh, you have to sing your band songs. I don't know. We'll see about that. I, I have to think about that. That's Bobby Scott. That's an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, revelation, uh, something you've uh, pointed out to me. Jacob Walton, after being around interviewing great wrestling minds and bookers, do you ever get the urge to do some fantasy booking of your own with today or past products? No, we did that as kids, right? When we were playing with those action figures and well, I, I booked 10,000 finishes in my life with my action figures when I was 10. You know, I had, I fucking, I booking run-ins, fucking heel turns, face turns. I had all that shit. I was learning how to book. It was all a mystery back then, too, so you just kind of had a... There was no logic. You didn't hear about swerves. Nobody talked about that shit in 1982. So you just had to kind of figure it all out right there with your action figures playing on your couch. God, wasn't it a simpler time? God, it was so much simpler. Can we go back? Isn't it that speaking of Orson Welles, I'll just bring it full circle for you here. Isn't it, it? Don't we just want Rosebud? Rosebud. Watch the fucking movie if you don't know. Uh, Mac, how did you feel when Conan got bitch slapped last week? I thought he was dead. I was I was shocked to see he was alive. And he got smacked around. Bruce Fody. F-O-U-G-H-T-Y. Fody. Fogty? Fogty. Sorry, Bruce. I'm a mere mortal. Uh, can you give us some memories or thoughts on, on Roddy Piper and his appearances on your show? Yeah, I mean, I talked about that. There's an episode somewhere that I devoted my whole wraparound, either in the front or the back, to uh, to Piper and just how it was a, a, a moment for me. We're talking about childhood and being a wrestling fan and all that. That was, that was so... That innocent time was so great because of the mystery. The mystery of someone like Roddy Piper. I mean, you knew he couldn't be a dick 24-7, right? But you know what? Someone like Piper, he might have been. Right? That was always the thing you hear with these old times. Like, well, wrestling's fake, but Bruno's real. Well, you know what? These guys aren't dicks, but Piper might be. That whole thing. That, that that fantasy thing was great. So when I got to meet him in person and work with him, it, it was a special thing. I do have to say, though, so much of the luster gets worn off this when you become a professional and you're and you're you you're working with these guys, you're hiring them. A lot of the luster gets worn off, and you're working with them in a in a working relationship. So it wasn't Piper that was that I watched at the Meadowlands when I was 12, when I was sitting with him. It was a guy I have to get an entertaining interview out of because I paid a lot of money and I'm 
sitting here for four hours and then I'm going to have to edit this thing for dozens of hours. So it does remove, it does remove that, uh, an element, the element of that, uh, that boyhood wonder maybe where you could be standing there and, and, and have that fanboy moment for a second. Wow, I'm sitting with Roddy Piper. That's cool. It was not there at all. It was just, he was great. His storytelling was great. Uh, I knew what the show would be. I, I was desperate to get him, and, and we did, and it's one of the things I'm most happy about at Kayfabe Commentaries because, of course, we all lost Roddy Piper uh, shortly thereafter. Terry Lynn Jr., are you glad TNA didn't hire you when you had a meeting with them? Well, who knows what the hell would have happened if I could have given them some advice on positioning their company in today's internet wrestling community. Mightn't have been the same story it is now. I'll talk about this another week because I'm running out of time, but just the AEW, TNA, NXT, WWE thing. I talked about this with the TNA people years ago when we did the Dixie Carter deal. And every prediction I had came true, and it's called AEW. Talk about that another time, though. I don't want to tease you like that, but listen, you you, got to come back for something. What the hell? All right, one more. They want to wrap this up here. Ian Roberts. I've always thought Jesse the Body would have been an amazing guest on the timeline WWE. Did you ever can, uh, consider him or contact him for a project or not interested with the project? No, uh, Jesse would be great. Uh, Jesse would be a perfect fit for Kayfabe Commentaries programming. He would love us. He would have loved us to pour through the minutiae like that and to have a conversation with me. I think he would have loved it. He's a tough guy to get, the, the politics thing, and he you know, he did move to Mexico. He's somewhat reclusive. I don't know. It might happen. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say never. It may happen. Um, that's it. I Listen, this week, you, you, you've got to dedicate yourself to something, right? Uh, hopefully it's not cheering for a team a team that doesn't care about you that you have no stake in you're just going to go pour money pour money on top of these players they sit there and laugh at you well maybe it'll be something else maybe it'll be something maybe it'll be creating learn your ABCs always be creating Uh, this uh, this last hour spent with me has been a production of Sean Oliver Media music by the great Kevin McLeod under Creative Commons license and listen, yes, you can produce this show with me. Patreon, patreon.com uh, slash podcast, kayfabe podcast. Yeah, I run out of gas, man. I ran out. Go, go talk to yourself for an hour. Go talk to yourself for an hour without coming up for air. Okay? See, and then I'll, then I'll see you next week. Bye.